stand with me as we read our scripture this morning. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent, uh, let's see, and to the Gentiles. And he was saying these things in his defense. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. 
For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Mm. Lord Jesus, enable us to find and embrace you through your gospel afresh today, or even for the first time. May our lives be full and hopeful because you are with us in any and every space through which we journey. And may we know that we have a faith in you that is worth sharing, a faith that is not only for our life in you, but for the very life of the world, for you came to give us the very life of God. May you multiply the effects of our witness to you as this gospel runs and is glorified throughout the world. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and Christ's peace to all. I stand with Israel. I stand with Israel against the brutal attacks of Hamas, against the devastating capture of women and children and the slaughtering of human lives. I stand with Israel. I stand against the persecution or the planned persecutions or the threatened persecutions of Jews, not only in the Middle East, but around the world, and even a real threat of that here in our part of the world. I stand with Israel, and I pray for Israel that she would not retaliate with wrongful military acts, but retaliate with wisdom and grace and even mercy that God would keep her from responding like to like. I do not pretend to know military strategy or how just wars are best played out, but I pray that God's mercy would reign in this. I stand with Israel. I stand with Israel in the same way that I stand with Ukraine. And, and, and as these countries defend themselves against false and wrongful attacks and and rulers and teams of rulers and, and insurgent groups that are bent on death and misery and destruction. I pray for peace in Israel. I pray for peace in Gaza. I pray for Israel. I pray for Hamas even, that all would repent and turn away from wrath and destruction and turn to God in Jesus Christ. I pray for peace in the Ukraine I pray against Russian leadership that promotes unjust war. I pray for all of the Ukrainian and Russian peoples who are swept up in all of this. 
I pray for peace. I stand with Israel in this sense too, that Israel was always about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Israel of old was like a building that was being constructed, a building with scaffolding still on it to become a fabulous house, a temple, if you will, that could have room for not only all the glory of God in it, but all of the peoples of the earth in it. Israel of old was a building with scaffolding on, and now the scaffolding is taken away, and the church is the true Israel of God. I stand with Israel in this sense that we are as the church of Jesus Christ spread throughout the world, the true Israel of God. We are the tree, the olive tree that God planted. God made room with the coming of Christ for all kinds of peoples, not just Jews, to come in and find life in that tree. Some branches were even removed who rejected Jesus so that others from all over the world could come in. And now that tree is grown and is spreading and so that it has truly room for all the birds of the air to come and perch and find shade in its branches. And I pray as Paul prayed, as he shared with the Roman Christians he had not yet met, for Jews to come in in massive numbers back into this tree, to be brought in through their faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is life. I stand with Israel in these ways. Some of you may have Jewish backgrounds. I stand with you. I pray with you. Some of you may have friends who, <coughs> who are living in Israel, who are under fire. I, I stand with you or in Palestine or Ukraine or in Russia. I stand with you praying for the peace that passes understanding that is only possible in Jesus our Lord. I stand with Israel I stand with Israel as the true church of God in Jesus Christ. Now, it's a little risky for a pastor to sort of begin with a statement like that, right? I, I've never really done anything like that in a sermon before, actually. It's risky because you may have differing views than me politically on that or even theologically on that. That's okay. You may be right and I may be wrong, we can sharpen one another. It's funny how we tend to get very, very worked up over these kinds of things and even want to get angry at each other. May we not do that. May we sharpen one another and help one another. Happy to talk with you about any of those things. But the real risk today is the point of, of all of that ultimately for our text today is that all of these peoples all over the world need Jesus, just like we need Jesus. And our hope is that we really do have a faith in him worth sharing. Just, just as Paul realized, here he is, he's been wrongly imprisoned for two years, <coughs> falsely accused of causing tumult and violence in Jerusalem when actually others put that on him. And, and here he is, he's been imprisoned and kept in Caesarea by governor after governor and leader after leader in hopes that, that Paul would pay a big bribe to get released. Several times there were plots against his life that he's miraculously saved out of from being assassinated. And here he is, and he stands before King Agrippa, this kind of quasi-Jewish leader under Roman authority, uh, the grandson of Herod the Great, the son of Herod Agrippa I, and here he is, 
And he realizes even in this space of great brokenness and trial, I have a faith worth sharing. And you do too. And I do too. Let's think about how Paul shares his faith. I, I love the stories that Austin told, right? RUF is so great at sharing the faith. And we want to come alongside them as the church. How can we grow in realizing we have a faith worth sharing? Just think about this with me very briefly today in four ways. Because we have a faith worth sharing, first of all, we can contextualize the sharing of our faith. Here's Paul. He's standing before not just the governor Festus there, the Roman authority, but King Agrippa, this Jewish person, and Bernice, his sister. And here they are. And, and Paul shares here in a very different way than he does other places, right? Think about the sermon that Matt preached to us a few weeks ago on Paul preaching the gospel in Athens. Completely a Gentile setting. You know, sort of this philosophical center of the world as he's He's there standing in the Areopagus in Athens, and he talks about poets, and he talks about temples to the gods, and he talks about an altar to the one unknown God. And Paul says, you're on to something there. And he quotes Greek poets, and he talks about you know, philosophical ideas, and that the great hope of the world is that Christ is resurrection, and Christ is the unknown God, the one true God, come to earth to bring the gospel near to you so you can actually find God. Stop groping around in all these false ways and find hope in life in God come for you. And that's how Paul preaches in Acts 17 there in Athens. This is so different, right? He's, he's talking to Jewish people. He's targeting Agrippa and Bernice primarily. He's letting others listen in. In this very Roman context in Caesarea, <coughs> he's still targeting, right, Agrippa and Bernice. And he's talking to them as Jewish people. And he talks about the prophets. And he talks about all that the people were worshiping for and hoping in across all the ages of the 12 tribes. And it's actually Jesus come near. And Paul presents Jesus there in a very different way but a beautiful way according to the context. You can take the faith that you have in Jesus. You can take the gospel message of Christ come, died, buried, crucified, and risen and apply it as you have learned it in your story in all kinds of ways in all kinds of, to all kinds of people. RUF's genius as a ministry is it has said across its 50 years, we're not going to teach you just one way to evangelize as a campus minister or as a student. We're going to help you talk about your story of knowing Christ and the story of the gospel and scripture and help you apply it to all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. I've got two People in, in my sort of journey, Tom Gibbs is one of those, was already a Christian when I met him. You know about Tom and Tara. Tara came to work with us there. But I want to talk about two guys that became PCA ministers, okay? Um, and, and, and they were evangelized in two very different ways, became Christians through our ministry of RUF at Auburn. One is Guy Richard, who is the, uh, who is the president of RTS Seminary in, in Atlanta. So uh, our little campus ministry there in Auburn actually helped two seminary presidents come to Christ and grow in Christ. Quite amazing. 
But Guy Richard literally was a guy who came to Bible study and didn't listen to one word that was ever said. <laughs> Not one word. And he admitted that later. Paul didn't listen to one word he ever said. But he said, you and Fran would have Jennifer and I, who were dating then, who is now his wife, over for lunch. You had us over at your house for lunch a couple of times. One time we went running beforehand. One time we went walking and you, as you were wheezing along in your run, you know, Guy is a, was a collegiate swimmer and now said, you know, can do anything. He's just a brilliant athlete, right? You're wheezing along there, Paul, running. But you're talking to me about Jesus as though he is the most real thing in your life. You didn't evangelize me directly. You just talked to me about Jesus. And it touched me. And so just as I was graduating, I decided, like Austin shared, I would read through the Bible and Jesus met me. And I became a Christian. The other guy is a guy named Steve Marusic, who became a PCA minister, an RUF campus minister. And Steve's a good friend. <coughs> Steve came to Christ, and this is not a lie, through coaching powder puff football for a sorority. Okay, that's actually true. He coached for a sorority football team. And, and many of these girls who played on the team came to RUF, and they said, why don't you come to RUF with us? after practice. And he said, I came for the first week of RUF that quarter, and we started on the Ten Commandments, and we worked all the way through them, and I realized I had a desperate need. I, I thought I had a righteousness of my own, but I was completely laid bare. And at the end of that quarter, I know I wasn't a Christian before, but at the end of it, I know that I was, that I was a sinner, and Jesus came to be the very righteousness of God for me all kinds of ways. Think about the people. I just want you to just jot this little note down in your notes page of your phone or on this bulletin. Who are the people that God just wants you to open yourself up to, to meet them right where they are with a kind word, with an invitation to come into your home, to go on a walk, to have lunch at a break in the office, and just begin hearing their story and meet them where they are with the gospel. Contextual sharing, because our faith is worth sharing. Secondly, contrite sharing. Where does Paul go with this? His own sinfulness and brokenness. These must have been such painful words for him to share again. I was the one putting followers of Jesus to death I was the one in my ideas about what righteousness was about, <coughs> chasing them down, going after them, pursuing them in Jerusalem, getting letters from the council in Jerusalem to go after them in other cities, in other places, and imprison them. And when they were voted upon to be put to death, I cast my votes too to see them <coughs> put to death. See, where could Paul have started? He, he could have started with like the sins in Herod's family. Hey, Agrippa, you know, your granddad slaughtered baby boys in Jerusalem actually trying to put Jesus himself to death and caused a massacre of boys to and under in Bethlehem. Could have gone there. Could have gone to his father, Herod Agrippa I, and said, you know, your dad, right? You know what happened to him? People were trying to worship him as a false god, and he in pride soaked it up and took it him, and God struck him dead right on the spot. 
or he could have gone after Agrippa directly himself. Agrippa and Bernice had a reputation to be more than brother and sister in a very sordid relationship. But he didn't do any of that. He starts with his own deep brokenness. He starts by telling that Jesus has to come to him in a vision and say, why are you persecuting me like this? Why are you kicking against the goads? I've been trying all along to prod you toward real life and blessing, and you're just kicking and pressing against all of my movements in your life. He's contrite. He's broken. And that is the best place to witness from. Yes, people need to see our changed lives. They do. But what they need to hear more than our changed lives is to hear us say, I am a desperate sinner. I I love what Lee did in the confession, if you were here from that. You know, I would have stood up there and said, G.K. Chesterton once said, you know, a hundred years ago that, you know, uh, you know, that uh, I'm the real problem. You know, I'm the problem in the world, writing into a London newspaper. Lee quotes Taylor Swift. That's awesome. But the point is, wherever you want to start in all of that, where we need to start as people of the gospel, whether you go back a hundred years or you're fresh right now, if you're contextualizing way better than I would, is to just say, I'm a sinner. I'm in need. What did Luther say at the very end of his life on his deathbed? We are beggars. It is true. I love what Jack Miller says in his book titled A Faith Worth Sharing. I stole it from him. I credit him. It's an amazing book. You can look that up online. It's it's a great little book of stories he wrote at the end of his life of coming to faith in Jesus and sharing that good news in all kinds of places and how he had to keep coming back to the good news himself as a desperate sinner, to share effectively. And uh, Miller says, you've heard it said that evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And he said, that's a good little statement. But he says, really, what evangelism is, is a beggar having the bread of life put in front of him in Jesus and taking and eating that bread and being filled with that bread, and then inviting other beggars to come and be filled as well. Contrite sharing. It sets you free. It it, it makes the gospel set free. Contextual sharing, contrite sharing, core sharing. Though Paul starts at very different places, though he tells different kinds of stories than he did in Athens or in other places, (coughs) he always ends up at the same place. What is the very core of the gospel? Christ has died for our sins and been raised for our justification. Let me tell you what is of first importance. Jesus came. He lived for us. He died for us. He was buried for us. He rose again for us. Where does he take Agrippa and Bernice and everyone. I want you to repent and turn to God and to find a place among those whose sins are forgiven and who are becoming righteous in our God. I love that.
whatever you do in pressing the gospel into your own heart and life, down into your children's lives, together with friends in the body, outward into all your relationships at work and play, in your neighborhood, in your community. The core is what needs to be celebrated. Christ crucified and risen. If you disagree about where Israel is and what Israel means today in the life of the church, if you disagree about politics, if you disagree about secondary and third level and nth level theological distinctives, fine, don't major on those things. It is Christ crucified and risen that we need to share. My friend Steve, who I talked about becoming through the doorway, a Christian through the doorway of coaching a sorority football team, he said, you know, the amazing thing was I thought I was going to hear this series of sermons and talks about the Ten Commandments about fixing my life. And what I heard was that all of us need a righteousness that is not our own, that comes from God and is by faith, that Christ has died to pay for all my failings to the Ten Commandments and been raised up to prove that His perfect record of obedience is now mine and that He will renew my life, yes, over time, but I am forever His and He is mine. That is the core of the gospel. And lastly, because we have a faith that's worth sharing, we can confront with it. We can challenge with it. Notice where Paul finishes. Agrippa, I know you actually believe all of this. I know you've known the prophets. I, I know you've known this background. And this is all what was pointing Agrippa, you know, this wasn't all done in a corner, and, and you know that. Don't you believe the prophets, Agrippa? I know you do. Your privilege, as you're befriending people, as you're inviting them to lunch, or wheezing along on a run, or, or walking, or watching your kids play a soccer game, or sitting in the parking lot while your kids are at band practice, or or uh, on a break around the water cooler that leads to a better conversation over a beer after work, or maybe even in a hospital waiting room. You can gently and lovingly, with your way of life, but even with your words, say, won't you come to faith in Jesus? Won't you embrace Him? Won't you find life in Him? I know this is what the longing of your heart actually is. Won't you come to him and find life? And I'll just say for any of you that are here today, maybe you've been hanging around the edges of the gospel a long time, I want to say to you, I know you believe this. Come in and find life today. Let's be reached for Christ and equipped to serve him because we have a faith worth sharing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this gospel, which is so amazing. And it truly is a faith worth sharing, O oh Lord. Uh, Father, please press it down into us afresh today. Press it out wide from us today. Lord, please 
give us courage, boldness, humility from a place of brokenness to share the good news, Jesus, of you coming to bring life to the world, even to us, even to our neighbors. We pray it all in your name. Amen.